Let's pray and we'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you that we can look again at your word. We pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Help us to understand what it says. Help us to live with Jesus as our saviour and our king. We pray it in his name. Amen. I think it was for my uh, 26th birthday. An auntie of mine presented me with a gift. It was an expensive gift. A bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label Whiskey. Now, it was nice of her to remember my birthday. It was uh, very kind of her to spend money for a present. A generous present like that. The only problem was this. I don't drink. I mean, I might have a very, very occasional glass of beer, but certainly not whiskey, even if I'm a Presbyterian minister. Um, I, I remember getting the bottle, all nicely wrapped up. I opened it up and I said, thank you so much, auntie, that is so generous of you. But inside I was thinking, how does this woman not know that I don't drink whiskey? Anyway, I took the bottle, still in its wrapping, up to West Ride Bottle Shop. I said to the manager, look, I received this bottle as a gift, but I don't drink. Would you buy it off me? (laughs) He took the bottle off me, unwrapped it. He looked at me and he said, a stolen bottle of whiskey and 50 cents worth of wrapping paper. I said, no, no, seriously, it was a gift. He looks at me, he goes, all right, you've got an honest face. And he gave me money. From memory, it was uh, $29. I then went straight across the road to Kurong Bookshop And Don Carson's commentary on Matthew's Gospel was reduced from $40 to $29. (laughs) And so, to my delight, I was able to buy it. I was given a gift, a lovely gift, a generous gift. But the problem? I didn't want what I was given. I didn't want that gift. Well, today we start a new series. For this next three weeks, we'll think about this short letter right near the end of the Bible, this letter called Jude. Let's uh, let's have a look at it together. The author starts off by introducing himself. He says his name is Jude. Uh, He says he's literally a slave of Jesus Christ, and he says he's the brother of James. Now, from this information, with a bit of detective work, we can have a pretty good guess at who Jude is. Uh, The name Jude, same as the name Judah, same as the name Judas, all the same name, very common name. And, of course, it's the name of the tribe of Judah, isn't it? The name after which the Jewish people are named. Uh, And there are a few Judes mentioned in the New Testament. Famously, of course, there's Judas Iscariot, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, although by the time this letter is written, he's long dead, so it can't possibly be him who wrote it. Uh, There are another few blokes called Jude in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, but the author here says that he's Jude, the brother of James, And in the New Testament, there's only one Jude we know who is the brother of James. And that's the brother of the James who was the half-brother of Jesus himself. Contrary to what some people think, but clearly in the Bible, Mary and Joseph went on to have other children after Mary had Jesus. Lots of children. And one of them was called James and one of them was called Jude. You can see it in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 3. I've put the reference there on your outline. People are speaking about Jesus here. Can you see it there, left-hand side, halfway down? People are speaking about Jesus and they say, Mark chapter 6, verse 3, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Did you notice the brothers there? 
James and Judas. We're pretty confident that's the Judas who wrote this letter, the half-brother of Jesus. That's amazing, don't you reckon? That's amazing to have a letter written by Jesus' half-brother, a man who grew up with Jesus, would have known him in a very special way. A man who we're told in John chapter 7, verse 5, initially didn't even believe in Jesus. But notice how Jude describes himself here in this letter. He's a brother of James, but who is he in relation to Jesus? Doesn't say half-brother. That's all different now. That's all transformed now that Jude knows who Jesus really is. Jude says, I don't know if you'd write this about your half-brother. Maybe you would. Maybe you'd write it about your children. Jude says, he's a slave of King Jesus, of Jesus, the, the, the Christ, the Messiah. Jude verse 1, have a look with me. Jude verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Uh, next, Jude identifies the people he's writing to. But he doesn't say where they are. He, says, he talks about who they are, who they are, particularly in the light of what Jesus has done for them. Uh, Jude says God has called them, that is, called them to be his special forgiven people. He says God loves them, and he says Jesus is, is keeping them, holding on to them. Still in verse 1. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Now Jude prays for his readers. He prays that their lives will be full of the mercy and peace and love of God. And the word he uses there is the word from which we get the word plethora. Jude prays that his readers will have a plethora of mercy and peace and love. Nice prayer. Verse 2. Mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. All sounds good so far. Don't you reckon Jesus', Jesus half-brother is writing to these Christian people, people who are loved by God, people who are being held on to by Jesus? And Jude says, he says, he says I was going to write to you about the salvation we share. That would have been a nice letter. It would have been a letter full of thanks and encouragement and praise to God, a letter where he said, isn't Jesus fantastic? Isn't it just so good to have our sins forgiven? Isn't it brilliant that through Jesus, God calls us his own children? Isn't it magnificent that that through Jesus, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth? What a glorious, wonderful, extraordinary salvation we share. Jude was going to write a letter like that. He had every intention of writing a letter like that. He, he, He deeply wanted to write a letter like that. But there's a problem. A problem that's endangering his readers' salvation. A problem so serious that Jude's not even sure if he he will share together in salvation with his readers. It's that dangerous. And so Jude has changed plans. He's changed his mind about what to write. Now, I'm sure you've had this kind of experience. You've planned to do something but when the time comes, something urgent comes up and you have to change your plans. It's it's a very common situation, isn't it? It happens hundreds of ways every day. Uh, You're planning to wake up at 6am, but the alarm goes off and it's cold and dark, so you need to change plans and hit the snooze button. (laughs) You're planning to drive to work 
every intention, but you get in the car and the tyre's flat. So you need to change plans, call the NRMA. Uh, you're planning to go to the gym, but you get home and there's a block of chocolate and your favourite TV show is on. <laughs> you have to change plans. Anyway, I don't need to tell you my whole life story. You get the idea. <laughs> Jude wanted to write a nice letter about the salvation he shares with his readers, but something very serious has come up. And so he's changed plans. He's decided to write a different letter, a letter, he says, a letter urging his readers, a letter appealing to them, a letter begging them to fight for the true message about Jesus. That word fight or contend in verse 3, it's the word from which we get the word agony. Jude wants them to, to agonize for the message about Jesus. And notice how he describes this message. He calls it the faith. That is, it's, it's a body of teaching or, or, or doctrine that we have to believe in, to, to have faith in. And notice there's only one. It's not a faith, it's the faith. There's only one message you can believe to be saved. And Jude says that this faith has been once for all entrusted to the saints. That is, it was given by Jesus to the apostles, written down in scripture, and it's not to be changed. It's not to be modified or updated. It's not to be revised or edited. It's entrusted once and for all, as is, to God's people. And Jews readers are facing a big problem. So he's not going to write that joyful letter about their glorious shared salvation. No, no. He's going to beg them to fight for the one true, apostolic, unchangeable message about Jesus. Verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And now Jude tells his readers what the problem is. Some men have come into their church and they're saying that God's grace is a license for immorality. You can imagine the kind of thing they're saying. They're saying something like this. They're saying, Jesus saves us by grace alone. <clears throat> it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we've done, Jesus forgives us. It's a free gift. It doesn't matter what we do, Jesus will forgive us. It's his death, his resurrection that cleanses us from sin. It is nothing that we do. So... We can do whatever we want. We can sin as much as we want. We can treat people any way we want. We can hurt people or have sex with them or steal from them. It doesn't matter what we do because whatever we do, Jesus saves us as a free gift. I guess there's something like that classic stereotype of a Christian. They sin as much as they want during the week. Then they show up at church to have it all forgiven. So they're, they're set to head out for another week of sin. Now, like with all good lies, there's truth in what these people are saying, isn't there? Jesus does save us as a free gift. Salvation is by grace alone. We can't earn it. But does that give us a license to sin? Can, can, can we then do whatever we want with impunity? 
Well, Jude says no. Jude says that these people, they deny the lordship of Jesus. And like the Old Testament prophets wrote about people who deny God's lordship, they will be condemned. Verse 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Can you see the problem with what these teachers are saying? Think about it this way. God's grace is a fact. God does save his people as a free gift. But you need to remember the nature of the gift. God saves his people from their sin. God saves his people into the kingdom of Jesus, where Jesus becomes their Lord, their master, where they become, like Jude himself there in verse 1, slaves of Jesus. These teachers are saying the free gift of salvation in Jesus means you can ignore Jesus, do whatever you want. God's grace is a license to sin, but they've misunderstood the nature of the gift. God's free gift of salvation means you get to have Jesus as your king. And so God's grace demands that we turn away from sin. God's grace demands that we stop living the way we want with ourselves as boss. God's grace demands that we obey Jesus, live for Jesus, worship Jesus as people who've been freely saved into his kingdom. Let me just show you a couple of other passages from the Bible that also show us this truth. Can you see them there on your outline? Firstly, from Ephesians chapter 2. Notice how we're saved, because we've got to have this clear. It's by grace. It is a free gift. But notice also why we're saved. Not so we can sin with impunity. No, no, we're saved to do good works. There on your outline, down the bottom there, left-hand side. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, look at this next one from Titus. Again, it says that God's grace saves us. We've got to be clear on that. But that same grace also teaches us to be godly because Jesus saves us for a reason. He saves us from wickedness. He saves us so we can be his purified people, eager not to sin. No, no, eager to do what is good. On your outline again, right-hand side there. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Do you see the nature of God's gift that he's given to us? We're saved by grace to be Jesus' people who live with Jesus as Lord. God's grace is not a license to sin against King Jesus. God's grace is a license to have the privilege of serving King Jesus. Okay. Can you see what's here then in these opening verses of Jude's letter? He introduces himself and his readers, uh, prays for them. Uh, tells them he wanted to write an encouraging letter about their shared salvation. 
But the problem is these false teachers, these, these teachers who say that God's grace is a license to sin. And so Jude says he's writing to urge them to hang on to the true, original, apostolic message about Jesus. The message that says we're saved by grace into a relationship with Jesus as king. Friends, there's plenty for us here to think about, plenty that applies to us here today. But let me just say two things. Uh, first thing to say is this. The Christian message is a once-for-all entrusted to the saints message. It's a body of teaching for us to believe, for us to rely on. It's not there for us to edit. It's not there for us to to, to modernise. We shouldn't take out any bits that we feel are wrong or harsh or unfashionable. We shouldn't add in any bits that we think might improve the message or or that might make it more palatable. We need to work with it as it is, contend for it as it is. My children play piano. And one thing I've noticed, there's a very big difference between jazz piano and classical piano. My son Joel likes to play jazz. And the thing about jazz, you never play it the same way twice. You... You improvise, that's the musical term, improvise. And so Joel will be playing away, and I'll come and say, Joel, where's the music that you're playing from? He'll say, there's no music. I'm just making it up as I go, I'm improvising. He sounds great to me, and his teacher says he's going well. But you can't do that with classical piano. My daughter Bianca next Wednesday is going to sit her grade one AMEB AMEB classical exam. She's going to be expected to play four songs. And the expectation is she will play what the music says. The exact notes as written at the right pitch at the right time. There is no room to improvise. The grade one pieces are once for all given. And the job is to accurately play the song as it's written. Friends, the Christian gospel is not a jazz piece. It's not for us to improvise on it. It's been once for all given to us from Jesus to the apostles in Scripture. And the job is to believe it as it is, to contend for it, to defend it, to fight for it as it is. It is this message, rightly understood and believed, that brings salvation. If we trust in the biblical Jesus, we will be saved from God's judgment. But improvisations on the message cannot save anyone. Improvisation will bring condemnation. Friends, I hope that you are people who care about the accuracy of what you believe. I hope you're people who care that what you believe is true. Of course, as we thought about last week, the key there is keep your Bible open. That's where we find the true, original, apostolic gospel. Make sure that what you listen to and believe and teach, it's what God says in his word. Okay. Like Jews readers, we have a once-for-all entrusted to the faith, once-for-all entrusted to the saints' faith to contend for. Second application. A second application of the passage for us is this. Our once-for-all delivered faith is a message of a free gift 
that brings us under the lordship of Jesus. A free gift that brings us under the lordship of Jesus. We've got to be clear on this. The message about Jesus is a message of grace. Uh, Like Jude's readers, if we are Christians, it's because, verse 1, we are loved by God. It's because we are kept by Jesus Christ. We can't save ourselves. We don't save ourselves. In ourselves, we are sinners who have never perfectly loved God. We can never, ever be good enough for God. We can never, ever earn ourselves a place in heaven. As the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Friend, friend, if you think that God will accept you because you are a good person... You have a terrible shock lying in front of you. In God's eyes, by God's standards, you are not a good person. You, like me, like all people, like everyone here, you deserve nothing from God but his anger and condemnation. The only way that you or I or anyone else can be saved is through the death and resurrection of Jesus and he saves us by grace as a free gift. All we can do is say thank you so much. Gratefully rely on Jesus, receive the free gift. But friends, we've got to remember what this gift is. It is not a license to sin. Jesus saves us into his kingdom, where he is Lord, where he is boss. And so people who are saved by Jesus need to, to use the biblical word, repent, turn away from sin, stop running life our way, live with Jesus as king. That's the gift. And so, friends, we need to ask ourselves this question. Is this a gift you want? Do you want to have Jesus as your king? Do you want to spend eternity serving him, worshipping him, obeying him, starting now? At the beginning I talked about a nice present I was given, but I didn't want it. And I'm ashamed to say I sometimes feel that way about God's gift of salvation. I sometimes look around at other people who aren't Christians or people in books or on TV. I look at their lifestyle, how they spend their time, how they spend their money, their sexual morality, and sometimes I have to admit, I feel a bit like I'm missing out. I feel a bit jealous, maybe. I'm not that excited about having Jesus as my king and living the way he says. Am I the only one? In fact, sometimes I'm really ashamed to say, I think like those men in the church Jude wrote to. I think, I'll do this sin now and then I'll ask Jesus to forgive me later on. Jesus will forgive me anyway, that's his job. So so I'll just go ahead and do what I want. I'll do the sin, he can do the forgiving. Great. Friends, I believe Jesus will forgive me. I believe he has forgiven me, even for doing that. But you see the problem with this kind of thinking, don't you? So let me ask you, is God's salvation a gift 
you want. He's offering it to you. But do you want it? Do you? Then, friends, we've got to turn away from sin and strive to serve our master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your magnificent mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you would save us from messing up life, doing it our own way. Thank you you would save us from the terrible trajectory that living our own way takes us all the way to hell. Thank you that you would freely save us and bring us into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to want this gift and therefore to turn away from sin, to to, to accept the free gift and, and to strive to serve our Master. We pray it in Jesus' name.